Welcome back to another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. It's been a couple weeks. I had to, had to fly solo last week with a little help from my my uh, buddy Zach Osterman from uh, Indianapolis. I'm glad he said. I'm glad you said your buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Are we gonna start a feud? Yeah, uh, we're all we're all family. <laughs> we are, so, the, so to speak, <laughs> the Gannett, the, the extended Gannett family. But um, obviously, another win for Purdue coming out of that game, beating Indiana at home over the weekend and uh and now that's uh, and then and then winning against uh, at ohio state wednesday night so um a stretch of seven wins in eight games we really haven't talked very much basketball since i think maybe coming out of the iowa game or going into the iowa game uh, you and i talk about it and the 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 perspective on the season has, has changed considerably i think since then we were talking back then about how bad purdue needed to go on the road and beat teams in that upper echelon of the Big Ten, and they've done that. They got the overtime win at Wisconsin, and uh, they just won at Ohio State the other night. And you start to put things like that together with um, how they've taken care of business at home and just the the strength of schedule overall, which they're going to get some credit for, and now you start to see potentially a a probably brighter perspective on on the way the second half of the season could go well things were quite gloomy in december for them correct wondering yeah. if they could win a road game who, who they could beat if they could finish 500 in the big Ten. that's why referendums from each game are, are pointless in yes. basketball you you go through stretches and right now they're in a good stretch and to me when you look at the recent stretch the most impressive win for me is the wisconsin game is the wisconsin game on the road i know they had a great run the other night at Ohio State, and uh, you know had to hold on at the end. But uh, to me, that that win at Wisconsin trumps. When we look at when I look at two thousand nineteen, just the calendar year two thousand nineteen, the win at Wisconsin trumps everything right now. And I, I, I and there are probably people thinking, well, Wisconsin not that great, and they're not. They're not. They're not a great great team. They have a great player in Ethan Happ. They have some other parts, but to get your road win in that fashion in overtime, coming off a, a pretty good beatdown against Michigan State, yeah. to recover from that, I thought again that's that's the number one, and it, it trumps what happens. It, it trump what happened against IU because IU is really in a bad funk right now, uh, and they're not a good team at this at this moment. Um, but yeah, I think that Wisconsin game has really uplifted them maybe gave him give, given them that boost of confidence that they lacked when they go on the road and I think that showed up at Ohio State it's a little bit more of a confident team when they get away from Mackey Arena now and um, you know I think that's going to be the game when you look back wherever they finish in the Big Ten which they, they're in position now to finish in the upper half and when you get in the Big Ten tournament the NCAA tournament I think that's the game that's going to be probably talked about the most most that pushed them in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, the big reason why the Wisconsin game was important was they needed to see that they could win a game under those circumstances. And there were times when it felt like it was going to slip away and it was going to be kind of like some of those early games, but they were able to make the, the winning plays down the stretch, as we call them, and, and and come out with a win. The other reason it was important was this was a team that at one point was something like one and five in quadrant one games, Those the most important games as far as what determines – not just whether you get into the NCAA tournament, but what sort of seed you have at that point. Right now, they're four and five in those quad one games, and it's because they were able to go on the road and beat Wisconsin. They're able to go on the road and beat Ohio State, and then um, also Maryland and Iowa have helped them out by playing pretty well since they won those games at home. It, it 
for people who aren't familiar, a, a quadrant one win, a team has to be ranked one through 30 at home, one through 50 on a neutral court, or one through 75 away. If you beat a team under those circumstances, that and it's, it's where they end up at the end of the season. No, I was just going to ask, have they developed a formula so when you go beat a Wisconsin and they are whatever quad number they are, mm-hmm. do you get credit for that time? My impression is it's it's where they end up. So th- these are still moving numbers. They are still moving, which is the point I was about to get yeah. to, which is why it's important to win on the road and get one the, where a team only has to stay in the top 75 as opposed to beating somebody at home and they have to stay in the top 30. It's much more, you know, there's much more variance there. Yeah. It, it's 45 spots. You know, it, someone like Iowa could have a really, really good season and end up number 31 is they're number 22 right now but number 31 is not a that's still a really really good team in college basketball but wouldn't qualify as a quad one win whereas there's no chance that wisconsin's going to fall out of the top 75 you wouldn't no, think so yeah it would be kind of catastrophic even ohio state which is on this losing streak right now in the net ranking still number 46 so uh, they're going to stay in the, you know indiana's 36 and they've lost several games i always th- i mean i i have several issues with <laughs> both men's and women's selection committees. But the the one thing that I've had a bigger issue with is when you when you go on the road in early January and you beat a Wisconsin, and that's a big win at the time, but mm-hmm. something happens to Wisconsin or whatever team you beat where they just kind of they, – they fall off the map. They don't make right. the tournament. So, you know, just they have a stretch of injuries or bad luck or whatever. And, right. But then you're not getting credit for what, what happened on that day. Right. I always feel like it's, it's important to have – to get the credit for what happened on that day. And it seems like they've they've built in something that allows that to happen. But you know, what if they would drop to seventy four? Mm-hmm. I mean, does that turn in the committee's eyes? Does that is well, that is that win still have a lot of value to them when you get down to the, the, to to selecting the teams? Uh, and it should because you know I'm a believer that happened on that day and they right. won that game regardless of. They have no control over what Wisconsin is doing the rest of the year. Correct. They have no control over what Ohio State or any of these other teams are going to do the rest of the year. Yeah. I think the important thing to remember here is that the net and all of these other sources that they use are just a tool at the yes. committee's disposal. Yeah. It's a way for them to kind of measure some things. So let's – let's. I hate to, to use potential real-life things, but let's – for example, they beat Wisconsin, and then on the last play of the game – Ethan Happ tears an ACL or has some other season-ending injury. Right. Wisconsin can't use him the rest of the year, and they're considerably worse, and they end up dropping out of the top 75. And it, So now they're a quadrant two win. But you've also got human beings who follow college basketball who are going to look at that at the end of the year and say, well, but let's you know, let's see that we see that Wisconsin actually only ended up 77th, but when Purdue beat them, right. I think they do have that flexibility. They're not, it doesn't have to be that rigid, but it, it gives them some guidelines. It, it, and it's more looking at any single one of the quadrant one wins unto itself probably isn't as important. It's the fact that now they have, they've played nine of those teams, which is a lot and they've beaten four of them. Right. Um, that those are the kind of things that are going to resonate. I think more with than, than any individual win. Probably. And if you're around the 500 mark in those kind of games, it's usually that's a, that's a, that's a good sign. Right. You're a very good team. If you do that, you're not, yeah. I mean, you can go, I can go, you can go look at the very elite teams in the country that are, have a, a, a pretty good winning record in those kinds of games. I don't think Purdue is at that level yet, but they have shown themselves to be a, 
in this last stretch, I think you're starting to see you can. Before, it was always speculative. The early part of the season, it was like, well, they, they look like they should be potentially up there with those teams, but they keep coming up on the wrong end of those games, so you can't really put them there. And now you can. You can start to think of this team. I mean, it's weird. Purdue fans, I think, gotten a little bit used to being maybe underseeded in the NCAA tournament these last couple of years. And this, or overseeded, I should say, in, in in some ways. And I think this, it could happen, it could work for them the opposite way this year. I don't think the record's going to be that good. Um, but because of the strength of schedule, they're going to be one of those teams that people look at as maybe being more dangerous than more vulnerable based on their well, seed. Well, they would fall in, what, the 5-6 range right now? Probably. They're, I mean, they're number 10 in the net. So... Yes, again, as you mentioned, that's a tool. It's a tool, but it, it's, so, not, it's so not a, right. It's not a strict guideline. So being only you know th- uh, thirteen and six at this point, that record doesn't pop at you. But again, because of strength of schedule and because of the, it, I mean, so this is obviously to be determined. But yeah, I mean, Matt Painter even said, I think on his radio show the other day, that's the range he sees them in right now is that five six range. I think there's potential to go higher, but that to to do that, you got to start winning games like Sunday. You got to start yes. beating Michigan State. Right, you have to do that and. To me, Sunday's game, you know, I don't see Purdue winning the Big Ten this year because I just don't think Michigan State's going to lose enough, right? And I don't think Michigan's going to lose enough for for that to happen, and that's o- that that's okay. But to me, Sunday's game is more about positioning yourself to stay in the top four in the Big Ten yes. to get that double buy, yes, and also for NCAA purposes. If you can if you can beat a Michigan State team, even though it'd be at home. Um, I, I think that really solidifies um, kind of your your place in the NCAA tournament, and then it does give you an opportunity to maybe move up at the end of the year where you're in that um, you might get a top 16 seed or you, uh, you might be a five. Uh, but the more I think about it, it's like they need to stay a six. When you look long term, what happened the last time they were a four? They like being a, they like being a six. Well, the last time they were a five too. It didn't it didn't work out. They like being. Um, I think. Well, it's 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 tricky because it's you get a better you get a better matchup in the first round in theory, but even like, there's people who question that. Like, would you rather play an eleven, which is sometimes like the worst of the at large teams getting in, than you would play a twelve, which is the best of the mid majors well, that are. Let's be honest too. Once you get the first cream of the crop right everybody's pretty evil. well I'm, I'm i'm the one who's been advocating that for a long time i, I wasn't saying that was my i what i've been saying for a long time is it's it's the old bell curve there's those yeah. elite teams at the yeah. end and then there's the teams that right. they should take their balls the basketballs away from them because they're that terrible <laughs> at the very very end and then there's a big gap in the middle where there's very little difference it's 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 there's a lot of in and, and right. purdue has put itself on the left side of that by cutting down on the variance by getting better on both sides of the ball and starting to win some of these games. To, to do a quick recap, Michigan going into Sunday's game, or well, going into there's some there's some games Friday night. We're recording this Friday afternoon, so Michigan State's nine and zero, Michigan seven and one, Maryland seven and two, Purdue six and two. So technically a half game behind Maryland for that four spot, and then they're one game up on Wisconsin for um, who, who is in fifth place, and then they would also have that. that but you're holding right a tiebreaker with Maryland right now, and you're holding a tiebreaker with Wisconsin. So yes. you're in a pretty good position. I, that's what. You know, I think for this team, this goal is to if they can squeeze into the top four in the Big Ten, um, you know, and then when you look at where they were in December, for that to happen, I think would be quite an accomplishment. And I think that's kind of what Sunday's game is about. A, you want to continue to play well, um, and this is the second time around, so there's going to be adjustments made 
and you're playing at home, so there's going to be a kind of a different vibe and a different excitement level, uh, an emotional level there. Um, but it, it to me, it's about putting themselves in position to to get a top four seed and just continue to play better as you now as you get into the month of February uh, and you're dealing with those games and you know some tough road games coming up that uh, you're able to hit that stretch with a lot of momentum. So Sunday's game is a rematch of the January 8th game. Purdue lost 77-59 in East Lansing. And that game was actually closer than that. I think it was four points with eight minutes to go. or it, it, was, it was relatively close in the second half. And then Michigan State pulled away with some authority down the stretch. People may also remember that game kind of most famously for um, you know, Evan Boudreaux gets hurt in the first half and has to miss a couple games with a groin injury. Matt Harms had some foul issues, so now Trevin Williams has to play a man, lot of minutes. My man. And he shows up, and, and, and I mean, he showed up. I mean, that was that was his kind of – I know he had shown a little bit against Notre Dame and in some of the, the bye games playing some minutes late, but that was kind of his coming out party because he did it against Nick Ward, Xavier um, Tillman. Like, he did it against the best – front court players in the Big Ten. And that was his first double-double. He had another one against Rutgers. I mean, he just started to, to be a presence. So it, what's interesting is that has really – his presence showing up has really helped Purdue kind of make some of the surges that they've made here over the last couple of weeks. At the same time, the only team so far that didn't know how to prepare for this Trevon Williams was Michigan State. And then they saw it firsthand. And I'm, I'm interested to see how that changes the way Michigan State approaches this matchup on Sunday. Because uh, Tillman said after the game, um, our buddy Graham Couch was um, kind enough to, to, to grab some quotes from the Michigan State locker room for me after that game. And Xavier Tillman said, we, that guy was not on our scouting report as somebody that was one of their better players, somebody that we needed to care about. I can guarantee you he's going to be on there in in large, probably bold type. Well, you can look at some of the clips that he's having. That next game against Wisconsin, he had a couple yeah. big man, big time moves. Absolutely, yeah. That this made you go, wow. Yeah. And he's had a few of those. They just he seems like he's settling into to to what they need from him and what he what he feels he can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, and I'm sure Painter since the Ohio State game and Brandon Brantley and that assistant coaching staff have, have, have told him, it's like, listen, they know who you are now. So here's the counter. Here's what right. you have to do type of thing. And that will be a curious matchup to see if he can perform some of the same things he did in that first matchup uh, against Michigan State, uh, you know, coming up on Sunday. You know, as good of a game as it was for Trevon Williams, it was a pretty bad game for a lot of other people in the Purdue lineup, you know, Carson Edwards had, I think you could argue probably his worst game of the year. He was three of 16 from the floor and turned it over four times without an assist. Um, so some of that was the Michigan state obviously made him a priority. And I thought um, Matt McQuaid and I think Aaron Henry was in on that kind of gave him problems. And it was up to the rest of Purdue's lineup to kind of step up and take advantage of maybe that attention. And they didn't do it. I mean, it, you know, Ryan Klein had 12 points, but took 12 shots to get there. Um, Nojel Eastern did not have an efficient game. They didn't really get any scoring off the bench other than Trevin Williams. And that's um, been one of their hallmarks here during this, you know, this seven out of eight has coincided with a lot of these bench guys kind of growing up a little bit and getting more comfortable and making more contributions. And uh, there was a, a complete absence of that in that game. And uh, I think this, I look at this game on Sunday as what can the rest of Purdue's team show especially considering Michigan State's got some depth issues right now Josh Langford's still out looks sounds like um, Kyle Arns might not be available on Sunday 
this Purdue needs to win this game one through ten. It's not going to be just their stars going against Michigan State stars. Correct. And you you may feel free to d- disagree with me because I, I did watch parts of the uh, the first Michigan State game, and I know it was an eight point game with however much time left. But there were there were moments in that game that, to me, Purdue looked out of place. Yes, they didn't look like they belonged on the same floor with Michigan State. They just they looked outclassed. Right. They looked out talented, which yes. they probably are. Yes, <laughs> for when you look at roster roster depth and stuff Maybe. like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. But I will say, as that game went on, they they kind of settled in a little bit more. But since that game, um, they they they've looked a whole lot better. And I don't know if it was just that game against going against that talent level in that environment or what, but they 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 have looked like a different team, and I think it sh- it, it obviously has shown up in the in the win loss category or in the win category. Uh, but that that's the one thing that kind of struck me early in that game. It's like uh, this team doesn't look like it belongs on the floor okay. with Michigan State, and maybe they didn't early on, but they got themselves together where they they did. Um, they were able to make a push at least and, and make it a closer game. But I, I, something happened from that game. And even, even when you, when I watched the Wisconsin game and again, Wisconsin's not Michigan state, but it was a different Purdue team on the floor, even though, you know, it was back and forth. There were runs, there were things like that, but Purdue looked more in place and more, mm-hmm. more comfortable from, from that point forward. Yeah. And I think you can go position by position Purdue has a lot. I'm going to kind of write about exactly what you said and some of what I'm about to say um, this afternoon for jconline.com. But you can go position by position, and there's almost every Purdue player has a little something to prove in this game. You could even say that about Trevion Williams, who, yes, you did it the first time when they weren't expecting you. Now what do you do when Nick Ward and Xavier Tillman and Kenny Goins absolutely know who you are and have probably been thinking about <laughs> the next chance they get to show you you're, you're a freshman in the Big Ten? But, I mean – all the great defense that Nojal Eastern's played and how he's been a defensive leader for this team, and Cassius Winston chewed him up pretty good that night. Um, and you could say that about the, the guys who were coming in behind Nojal Eastern especially, I think. Um, you know, Carson Edwards, who already said, you know, he's been you know, he's still been scoring points, but I think he's been much more of a catalyst here. Starting with that Wisconsin game and, and moving past that, he's been um, efficient on offense. He's been creating offense. I know he had a, a decent chunk of turnovers over at Ohio State, but so did everybody, basically. And uh, But he had a lot of steals and a lot of assists in that game. It was kind of a, a complicated box score line from him that night, but he needs to be better in, in the matchups that he has. Um, I already talked about the bench. I mean, again, I think you can look across the board um, how does – how do all these Purdue players respond to what right now is the only blemish of, of the second half of the season for them? The only blemish since late December is is this game where, again, I, I agree with you. I think there were times when it looked like they were the, the also-ran, the team that wasn't supposed to be there, the team that was still definitely down at the bottom of the conference somewhere or somewhere in the murky middle and, and not a team that should be challenging to be considered one of the best teams in the Big Ten. This is their opportunity to – answer that so yeah i'm really curious how they look and they'll look better because they're at home and they have more confidence 
and they're not beginning a two-game road stretch that was going to potentially define right. their Big Ten season type. Right. You know, there's a lot of factors of why and that Michigan was State, the case. By the way, will be playing its second road game in four days. Well, they were you're just at, at Iowa last yeah, night. Yeah, you're looking at what well, you're looking in the bigger picture: three games in seven days for them. Right. Well, but as Gene Katie said, what else you got to do? You're playing basketball and going to school, so <laughs> you, what, you can't be tired. And that's what Matt Painter <laughs> says, and I think it's actually even more true now because you know. There are painterisms that I agree with and painterisms I don't. But the one that he, you know, anytime we try to bring up how, how schedule, tired a team yeah. might be or something like that, he's like, these kids play like eight AU games a day and then turn around and do it again the next day. Like, what are you guys talking about? Like, these kids just play basketball. Well, That's what they do. But I also say, not at the level. Not at the level, with, not at it, the structure. It, it's different, but they also aren't getting flown to those games back and <laughs> right. forth. It's it's whatever. There's there there is some truth to there it. There are though. so many things that these athletes have right for their recovery periods. And that, if you want to win in the NCAA tournament, you got to win yeah. quick turnaround games, right. and that's so that's and so Purdue will have to do it at some point this year. Michigan State's going to try to, but do it, it is a situation Purdue might be able to take advantage of. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, especially considering Michigan State does, like I said, they they have some depth issues right now. Although I I say that they have some people missing from their rotation, that doesn't necessarily mean they have depth issues because they're a really good team. They're talented, top to bottom. After this game Sunday, then Purdue gets three straight at home: uh, Penn State, Minnesota, and Nebraska. And so I kind of looked going into the Indiana game as it being kind of a three-game set: the Indiana and Ohio State at home, and then at Michigan State. And now you can kind of look at it as Regardless of what happens Sunday, getting those three home games, or I'm sorry, they, then you go at Penn State and then home against Minnesota and Nebraska. But that seems like another kind of three game set because if you can run the table there, it it and you know especially holding serve at home, it puts you in a position to, to keep making these these strides. Um, so yeah, come to jconline.com after the game Sunday. We'll have full game recap, reaction videos, all, all, all the usual stuff. Wanted to shift over to bas- or football, I'm sorry, real quick. And we've you've done a good job on JC Online keeping people up to date on the, the comings and goings and the developments of the offseason. And one of the intriguing things was the the survey that's going out. Has it gone out or it's, it's going out next week? It was supposed to go out the 14th of January, and it didn't go out. <laughs> government uh, shutdown? Yes, the government shutdown. Uh, the latest I was told it would go out the 29th. Okay. And that would be to season ticket holders, alumni. I guess if you have a Purdue sweatshirt, you might get one. <laughs> I don't. This is a survey about potential improvements to Ross Aid Stadium. No, that be the. I don't think there's any potential about it. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna take the deep dive. But they want to hear from people what they want to see. They I, I, they're just trying to get a gauge of what what fans want, and I you know. To be honest, I think some things have already been decided. Uh, but you you do these because you want to you want to uh, bring your fans into it. You want to hear their ideas. You want to hear what their thoughts are. What's going to make a more comfortable uh, environment for them? Um, so they do they do want to hear from everybody, and they've they've hired a firm to kind of process you know create the questions. Um, and it's it's kind of an extensive sur- survey, from what I'm told. You know, it could probably take you 20, 25 minutes, maybe a half hour to get through it all. Um, but this is this is a fan's choice to, to get their voice kind of kind of heard uh, in, in this situation. But, you know, Mike Bobinski, our leg director, along with the board and the president, you know, they've kind of decided to go to the deep end on this thing and just say, okay, let's do Ross-Aid Stadium right now, all of it. Let's not 
let's not p- piecemeal it together and right. put put some rubber bands here and stuff like that. There's there's probably some some infrastructure work from a concrete standpoint that needs to get updated and fixed. And you know if what kind of um, you know scoreboards and other things you're bringing in that are that are going to require some more reinforcements in the ground and stuff like that. I mean, it is an old stadium. It's been it's been well kept, but there are probably some some additional adjustments that that need to be made with that before they can really embark on uh, you know whatever Rossade Stadium is going to look like. So, if you have you know if you think you're on that list, and even if you're not on the list, I'm sure that if you reach out to somebody, they'll send you a survey because they they do want input. Do you think they sent one to Jim Harbaugh? <laughs> Well, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess the visiting team locker room will be huh. something will be done with the visiting team locker room. So, so this all seems like a, <laughs> a bit of a departure from the tradi- quote unquote traditional Purdue way of doing things. We've talked about this before, but kind of what you're talking about with the piecemeal, it would seem like, and I believe it was a, probably the, the the fiscally prudent, at least from the powers of B's perspective, to do it that way, where you're kind of you know sort of trickling along. But I think, and we've seen this in multiple sports, sometimes you miss an important window. Where your facilities can sync up with your performance. A, a performance on the field, and re- let's face it, you know Rondo Moore is only going to be here a couple more years. You don't know how long it'll be before Jeff Brom gets that offer he can't refuse. Um, so th- it would, this would seem like I don't know how much that factors into what Mike Bobinski and uh, Mike Berghoff and the board of trustees or whoever are thinking right now, but that would. S- it would seem to be prudent right now to try to get the best possible venue to play in to maybe take advantage of this. You don't know how it could be fleeting right. window of exposure that you have. Oh, no question. And, you know, you mentioned it. I thought in the late 90s they missed, 90s, they missed an opportunity to redo Mackey Arena when they won three straight Big Ten titles. I, they missed an opportunity coming out of the Rose Bowl era to do something, what they what they did with the football performance complex. Uh, so I, yeah, I mean, they've, they've, they've missed opportunities, uh, and that, that shouldn't all fall on one guy, uh, the athletic director at the time, it shouldn't all fall on him because he's getting directive from, from above too, but that's, that's in the past. And I just think, you know, they are going to take, try to take advantage of this and you should, because there's a, there's a lot of momentum around this football program and this athletic department in general about what's going on and, when you have that, you have people willing to step up and be part of that, and being part of that is financial. And this is going to be a, a big number project. I mean, I can't tell you because I don't know, and I don't think they know yet exactly, but you're looking well over $100 million probably to do everything that they want to do. Now, they might not be able to do everything they want to do. Mm-hmm. There might be some things that have to wait or things that get scaled down a little bit. But I, you know, from what I heard, just – Again, social media, Twitter. <laughs> so take it for what it's worth. Right. Uh, you know, people would like to see the south end zone enclosed. Um, probably some sort of brick there. Um, you know, chairback seating. You know, is throughout it, the stadium. Uh, you know, I think in, I, I think you could probably. This is just me talking, but you could probably do something similar to what you've done in Mackey mm. with the premium the, seating. The premium seating. Yeah. Um, because they already have they have they have some premium yeah they yeah. have they have premium seating throughout the stadium but if you offer that maybe in some different areas right. 
uh, just to make it a little bit more comfortable for people. Right. Uh, you know, is it time for the upper deck on the east side? How big would that upper deck be? You know, what you do with the south end zone? Is that going to involve some suites? You know, so, the, you know, the survey is just going to give them an idea of kind of what people want and, and also maybe what people are willing to pay. Right. I, I would hope, just me, that they they somehow keep that south end end zone patio area, not all of it, mm-hmm. but some section, because I, I think that is pretty popular. I think that is a, that is a place to gather for season ticket holders and, right. and the people that JPC. don't see well, JPC, but people that don't go to the Buchanan club or the Shivula club and right. just a chance to the common man. Yeah. The, yeah. And Purdue's got plenty of common people. <laughs> I'm telling you. So, I mean, I think that's a good area. I think when they, when they took the bleachers out and they created that space, I thought that was, that was a nice, nice thing. And I think it's responded well. Um, you know, people obviously love or enjoying the, the fact that they can get alcohol throughout the stadium now. I mean, sales over a million dollars um, in gross sales this this past year, and which is quite a jump because you're only talking one more home game, right? Than the year before. So you're telling me that one home game brought you an extra half a million dollars in, <laughs> in alcohol sales, but you had big crowds, you had decent sized crowds throughout the season. Just a little bit more buzz, and I think the three night games probably helped. From that standpoint, so you're going to have more night games. You want better video boards. You want ribbon boards. You want access to out of town scores. You want all that stuff. Maybe in game stats, and you just want to keep up on, on on what's going on. So all that's going to be kind of thrown into the the meat grinder and then yeah. spewed out, and then they'll decide from a cost standpoint what what they can and what they can't do, and what you know who who's going to be willing to to support that and that's what it takes in college athletics it does take money to to make these things happen so what does rusty team need that it's missing well it needs upgraded it needs a, a new video board it needs more video boards it needs something in the north end zone um but i also would think that when you look bigger picture with ross age stadium they want to be able to use that space at least parts of that space throughout the whole year mm-hmm. whether that's a hall of fame whether that's um, something else, um, you know. I, I think that's probably something that's on the on the drawing board uh, for down the road. Uh, that if they can get some constant activity there, other than seven days a year, uh, I think they would like to do that. But when you look at video boards, uh, ribbon boards, better sound system, and I know they've they've taken steps to upgrade some some of these things already. Um, you know, and probably just to make Ross H. Stadium a little bit more comfortable for people to 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 enjoy the game. Um, you know, everybody's going to have their own wish list, um, and there's there's probably an avenue for a few more suites, but it's it's all going to be how it's how how you design it. You know where it's going to be. Um, the one thing I would like, to, I, I think they need to enclose the south end zone, make it more of a stadium feel. Mm-hmm. But again, with including some of the other things that we've mentioned as far as keeping that patio or some other things um, that, that, that I think they need. And that's why, if, if, if anybody notices, I did, that the light poles in the south end zone are different than the ones across mm-hmm. the stadium. It's so that they can move them around. Oh, okay. And so that was a question I asked first. It's like, hey, why are those different than the other ones? <laughs> so we could move them if we need to. Gotcha. 
That makes a lot of sense. So if you're lucky enough to be on those lists, I guess be looking for that survey, and, and we'll see how Purdue moves forward on that. But that'll wrap up Boilers Extra this week. Like I said, come back to jconline.com on Sunday. We'll have full coverage of that game. Follow Mike Carmen at Carmen underscore JC throughout the week. He's bringing you all the offseason Purdue football news and notes. And follow me on Twitter at InBairedJC. I'm do, trying to do the same with, with men's basketball here. And um, find us on uh, wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, obviously, you did because you're listening to this. And uh, you know, subscribe, download, tell rate your us, friends. Tell your friends. <laughs> give us feedback because we, we want to hear from you. And uh, thanks a lot for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.